Don't you just want to tell those folks to calm down? Just calm yourself, okay? Just calm down. Whatever you do, please. It's never good to jump to conclusions. Never. When we do, most of the time we're way off, and rarely are we right. Um, So it's important as we handle the flow of life to be patient. I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you find yourself in the middle like I do a lot of times. I'm I'm in the middle of life wondering how things are going to turn out. Spent all day Friday uh, from about 8 in the morning to 5.30 with a friend. Cindy and I spent it with a friend whose wife was in surgery. And that's literally being in the waiting room. That's waiting to see how it's going to turn out. And it went about three hours longer than we expected. So it's at that point that your mind just you start to try to figure out, oh, boy, I hope everything's okay. I hope, you know, you wonder what's going on. We... We find ourselves constantly in these kinds of situations where we're wondering how life's going to turn out. I, my son and his wife are expecting, and uh, they're going to have a child in June. And, you know, you find out that we found out Jean is pregnant. We immediately start praying. We start praying for her health, the baby's health. And you, you're waiting. You're waiting to see how it's going to turn out. And that's, that's a good thing. You know, we're excited about that. My son, unfortunately, has listened to me my whole life talk about how there's only one real surprise in life that you can count on, and that's when the baby's born, finding out. So you should wait, because that's a real surprise in life. You you should wait to find out whether it's a boy or girl. So unfortunately, he bought that. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm having a grandson or a granddaughter. I don't know. We're, we're, We're waiting. We're waiting. We're in the waiting room there. We're in the middle. Trying to figure out my daughter, Lindsay's a junior in college. We're in the middle. We're going to find out what she does after she graduates. We're constantly in these situations and circumstances, some good, some bad, but we're, we're in the middle of them in one way or other. We're in the middle of the semester, wondering how it's going to turn out, you know, what, what's going to happen at the end. We're in the middle of parenting. You know, some days it seems like your kids are going to be rocket scientists. You're like, hey... Wonder how this is going to turn out. Other days, you're really wondering, how, how, what's going to, am I going to have to visit them as they live in a very small room? You know, you're, you're just, you're just wondering about this. How is it going to turn out? What, what's going to go on? We're right now, we're in the middle of an economic downturn. And it's affecting all of us. And we're wondering, how is this going to turn out? What, what's going to happen? I, I mean, you know, I heard about a month and a half ago that, Social Security is going to dry up in the 30s, in the 2030s. So, you know, you wonder uh, how, how that's going to go. In the middle of family conflict, you might find yourself in the middle of some kind of conflict with your family or someone else, and you're, you're in the middle. You're in the middle of this thing. How is it going to go? In the middle of marriage, you know, we're working through some things, maybe. Okay, Maybe you're working through some things. Don't worry, we're, we're okay, Cindy and I. I'll, I'll, sometimes I say things and I realize they land differently when you say them from up here. But you know, sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of marriage and we're working through stuff and we're wondering, how is it going to turn out? How, how's it going to go? Maybe you're lonely and you wonder, if you do, am I just going to have to stick it out the rest of my life this way? 
How's this going to turn out? We find ourselves in the middle. Today, what we're looking at, we're looking at some promises that God gave us that really help us in the middle. They really help. What we're digging into in this series is we're looking at providence, which is pro, beforehand, videre in the Latin, to see. So we're talking about how God, he got, he's watching what's going on in all of the world, and he's, he's working his purpose out through these things. And it's important to know who God is and understand some things about him if you're in the middle. We need to remember some important things about God that help us deal with this. If we can know these things and remember them, then fear and worry won't rob us of the ability to respond in the way we should, or even rob us of the ability to enjoy life. Today we're going to look at Jacob, uh, Jacob's story in Genesis. He was Abraham's grandson. We looked at Abraham a couple weeks ago, and we've looked at the stories of Abraham and David And now we're looking at Jacob. And one thing that's obvious is that it's more about, life is more about what God wants to do with someone's life than it is about their ability to make sure it turns out a certain way. It's much more about that. God's working his purpose out. And what he hopes is, he hopes that as we're living life and we're in the middle that we'll turn to him. And we'll put our hope in him. Last week we looked at, with the things we can't fix or change, he is the only real hope we have. Prior to that, we found out that if you, if you keep, your confidence grows as you, as you trust God with the different things you're going through. And today, we're going to look at what we need to remember while we're in the middle. This is a, this is a, a really good thing to know and, and to learn and to hang on to. Jacob, as I said, is Abraham's grandson. He was born a twin. Uh, His brother Esau was born right before him. And as he came out of the womb, he had his hand on the heel of his brother. And so his name Jacob actually means he grasps the heel. He he grasps. It's hard to say. He he hangs on to his heel. That's what it means. He holds his heel. figuratively, what that means is he deceives. So it's interesting. He was born holding on to his brother's heel. And the idea is he supplants. He's crafty. He's shrewd. And he works it out so that he's supplanting those over him and kind of uh, taking them down and getting above them. And so figuratively, that's what it means, Jacob. And literally, that's kind of how he was. He was a shifty guy. He was a very shifty young man. He he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. Esau was born first. That meant that he had some uh, rights to inheritance and privilege as the one who held the birthright. And Jacob, being the crafty guy that he was, sold. He he had Esau. He tricked him into selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. So Jacob was kind of shifty, crafty. And so we're going to start with Jacob's story. The beginning for us today is going to be when God made a promise to Jacob. And as you you get to know the characters in Scripture, that's what you find, 
It's more about God and what he wants to do than it is about the characters. You know, his grace, his, his help that he gives. And so you've got this crafty, shifty guy that God's going to work through to bring his blessing into the world. Genesis 28 <clears throat> says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped by for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is a dream about Jacob's ladder. It's a very famous dream in the nation of Israel. It's kind of, you know how we have stories about the founders of our nations, of our nation? You know, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, you know, Honest Abe, and, you know, he, you know, he was an honest guy because of the stories that we hear about. Well, the nation of Israel had those stories as well. This, this was a very famous story of this dream that Jacob had. And the latter symbolized a link between heaven and earth. You know, we use ladders to get from the ground to a higher place. And that's, that's the, the symbolism of the, the ladder there. And since the nation knew the story, Jesus actually referred to this story one time when he was talking to Nathaniel, when he was helping um, Nathaniel come to, to decide to follow him. He told Nathaniel that he would see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And what he meant by that is, I'm the ladder. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm going to connect people to God. And so that's just a little tidbit out of this story, but <clears throat> that's the idea. Anyway, Jacob sees this ladder, and above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. So he's picking up on the promise. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Abraham and how God gave him this same promise. So he picks it up here. So this is the beginning of when um, Jacob gets this promise. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. For Jacob, this is when it really begins. God gives him a clear and unmistakable promise that he's going to fulfill his purpose for Jacob's life. It's very clear. We all have the same kind of promise. Those of us who are setting our hearts to follow God and cooperating with him, we all have this same kind of promise. We're going to look at that in a few moments. But out of this experience, Jacob takes away three promises from God. I will be with you. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've said. I am not going to give up on you. I'm not going to leave you until I've fulfilled my purpose for you. This is what God tells him. But in spite of the reality of this experience, in spite of hearing this from God and God being very clear that he's going to do these things in Jacob's life, in the middle of his story, Jacob forgets the promise. He forgets what God said, and this tends to happen. This is, this is what tends to happen. 
at one moment in time, God speaks to us. He's very clear. We, we hear it. We understand it. We connect with him. We get to know him. And then our memory begins to fade. And as we go through life and as we handle the ups and downs and the good and the bad, and as we're walking through and we face different circumstances, some, some trouble strikes, and our memory begins to fade. Just like Jacob, his memory began to fade. And so I want to walk through some of the things that happened that, it, that contributed to his lack of his memory loss here, his lack of memory. Uh, first of all, Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, is sold into slavery. I've got to give you some backstory here. Um, at this point in time, in Genesis 37, the bulk of this story is Genesis 37 through 50. So I'm going to try to summarize a whole chunk of uh, scripture here. But at this point in time, in Genesis 37, Jacob has 12 sons from three different women, and that's a long story in and of itself. It's quite a story. <laughs> so I would encourage you to read it. It's kind of interesting. But he's got 12 sons from three different women. <clears throat> His first love was Rachel. And he had two sons from Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is Jacob's favorite. He, he favors J Joseph, and he gives him a, a coat of many colors, a very colored coat, and so Joseph walks around with this coat. It's, it's cool. Um, I don't know, colors of Benetton or something. I don't know what it was, but sorry, I couldn't resist that. That was stupid. But he's walking around with this coat, and you can actually hear more about that story. There was a Broadway play done by Andrew Lloyd Webber, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's the story. It's a very well-known story, but... Anyway, he's wearing this coat around. His brothers are jealous. Not only is he wearing the coat around, Joseph has a couple dreams. He's, there's a dream thing in this family here, Jacob and, and Joseph. Jo jo Joseph has a couple of dreams, and he tells his brothers about the dream. And the interpretation of the dream is that one day, all of his brothers are going to bow before him. Now, he's wearing the coat that his dad gave him. He's the favorite. And he tells these dreams to his brothers. They're chapped. I mean, they've about had it with Joseph. So they're out working in the field one day. Joseph walks toward them, and they're all discussing, here he comes, man, let's kill him now. Let's just kill him, do away with him. The oldest, Reuben, says, okay, hey, look, don't kill him. Just throw him in a deep well. Just, let's just do that. Let's throw him in the deep well. Because Reuben's thinking, I'm going to have him throw him in the well, and then I'll come back later and pull him out and save him. Well, while Reuben's not looking, they decide instead of killing him to sell him to some Midianites as a slave. So these guys sell their brother as a slave to the Midianites. And then they come back to, to uh, Jacob, and they, they make up this story. Here's the story. They, they got Joseph's robe, the, the many-colored one, you know, that he got from his dad that he was wearing around. They slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe in the blood. They, they took the ornamented robe back to their father, and they said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it, Jacob did, and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. 
So his father wept for him. When this happens, Jacob's memory begins to fade, and he starts to live by sight, by what he can see, not by faith. His memory of God's promise begins to go away. And then in verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, a great bit of time passes. Some remarkable events happen. And Joseph's ability to interpret dreams allows him to keep rising. He, he, he's treated horribly in some circumstances, but he keeps rising to, to a level of leadership in whatever circumstance he finds himself. And he eventually ends up as a ruler of Egypt under Pharaoh. Kind of, kind of an amazing story. But while he's ruler, famine sweeps the land. Well, he had been warned in a dream about this famine, so Joseph had wisely been, been storing grain for Egypt. And so as the famine strikes the entire world, Egypt's got plenty. They're doing fine. They can cover themselves. And the entire world starts coming to Egypt to buy this grain from them because Joseph, who's been responsible for this, was warned about this in a dream, and he put the, the stuff aside so that they'd have enough for them and enough to sell. So what Jacob does is he sends his ten sons to Egypt to buy grain. Where do they end up? They have to go talk to Joseph about buying this, this grain that their, their father sent. So the brothers meet Joseph again in Egypt. Joseph was now the governor who's in charge of selling the grain, because he's the one that was over all this. When the brothers see him, they don't recognize him, but they bow before him. Ah, remember the dream? <laughs> it actually came true. He was right. So they bow before him, and uh, the dream that got him into trouble is actually fulfilled. Joseph recognized them. They don't recognize him. Joseph begins to question his brothers about his, his family, and I think he begins to mess with them. I think that's what he does. He has some fun with them. Because he's, he starts asking them, how, how many brothers are there of you? And they say, they say, well, there were 12. One of them, you know, this happened. And one of them's still at home. Because Jacob wouldn't send Benjamin, the other favorite son of his. So Benjamin's at home. They start talking. So Joseph's questioning them and finding out how the family's doing while he's asking these questions. And... Then he, I think, decides to mess with them a little bit, and he accuses them of being spies, has them thrown in jail for three days. So they're in jail. He brings them out of jail, and he comes up with a, a plan so that he can see Benjamin, his brother. This is his full brother from the same mother. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. In other words, you guys, you're spies. The only way I'm going to believe you're not a spy is if you really actually come up with this other brother that you told me about to prove that you're not lying to me. And so this they proceeded to do. Now when they hear this, when Joseph tells them this, they, be, they know that God's involved here. 
and they begin to try to figure out what God is up to. They begin to try to read what God is doing in their lives. And it says here, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come and come upon us. So they remember when they were about to kill Joseph, the look on his face and how he pleaded for his life. And they're, they're saying, that's what's happening to us. This is payback. What goes around comes around, and God is making us pay. And Reuben throws in, and I told you so, the older brother who just wanted to throw him in the well. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. These brothers realize that God is behind all the things that are going on. They, they realize that he is He is behind all this, and they're trying to read what he's doing. They discern the hand of God in the events of their life, but they misread the purpose of his involvement. They misread why he was involved. And actually, they're a lot like me. They assumed that God was about to squash them. They, They assumed God's judgment was coming on them because of what they had done before. And this is something important for us to remember. In the middle... It's very easy to cringe in fear because you're expecting God to punish you. It's very easy in the middle of things to just wait for God to bring the hammer down and make us pay. But be careful not to jump to conclusions. Be very careful in the middle not to jump. This is where God can do his best work. If we'll trust him, if we'll wait, this is where God can grow our faith and shape our character. They didn't realize, it says in verse 23, that Joseph could understand them because he'd been using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then he turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in its sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. So here they are. The brothers are starting to try to figure out, oh boy, what's happening? This is, now we've got to go get Benjamin. We have to leave Simeon. You know, we've got to go get Benjamin. Oh, what is dad going to think about this? You know, how is Jake? Well, Jacob jumps to the wrong conclusion. As they were emptying their sacks, in verse 35, it says, There in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. This is his conclusion. Everything is against me. It's all coming down right here. Now, think about Jacob. His past was very sketchy. This guy was a trickster. He was crafty. He was, he was, he had probably been just waiting most of his life for the other shoe to drop. You ever hear that saying? You know what that refers to? It refers to like in the old days when 
the ceilings were very, very thin, and you'd stay the night in a hotel or you lived in an apartment, and somebody came in like at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and they, they dropped their shoe on the floor, and it woke you up. If you lived downstairs, it would wake you up, and you can't go to sleep until the other shoe drops because you're just sitting there waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, most of his life, Jacob had just been waiting for the other shoe to drop because he'd been crafty and shrewd and tricky, and he, he's a deceiver. So he was just waiting for this, and now everything's against me. It's happening. This is what's happening. It's all coming down right now. Adam Smith was a guy who wrote a book on providence, and he referred to providence as the invisible hand of God. Because we can't see God, we often fail to recognize that he's involved in the events of our life. He's involved in what's going on. These men were convinced that God was involved. But they were operating out of fear and out of guilt. And they were afraid that God was about to punish them for what they had done. But boy, they were wrong. This was the wrong conclusion. You know, many things in our lives appear unrelated. Seems like they happen by chance. There's a lot of contingencies to us. But that's not true with God. He can connect the dots. Here's some of my artwork. Um, this, is, this is a connect the dot uh, picture. You can kind of see that it's going to be something. And since you know it's a connect the dot, you know it's going to be something. Well, Cindy came into the kitchen today and I was coloring. And uh, she wondered what I was doing. I said, oh, I got this idea. Well, here, here's what it is, actually. See, there's, there's the picture. You know how babies, they cringe when they're, hey, scares them? That's what we're doing. We're cringing and we're, we're, we're afraid that it's going to just jump out at us. But anyway, God, as he's looking at the unrelated events of our lives, I know that's pathetic. Let's just, let's just get past it. Could we take that off the screen? <laughs> I, I, I chose the colors and I thought, what was I doing? You know, what in the, that is so ugly. But anyway, I'm unashamedly showing you the best artwork I've done in the last 25 years. So, uh, at any rate, <clears throat> we see the unrelated events and things that are going on in our life. God sees how to connect the dots to fulfill his purpose. We, we see the dots. He's, he's, he's drawing a picture. He's, he's fulfilling his purpose in our lives. And many times we jump to the conclusion that he's going to make us pay. That is not God's heart. This is not what God wants. Because of our guilt and our fear, we have a tendency to misread the hand of God in our lives and in the events that are going on. Jacob was convinced that everything was against him, but that couldn't have been further from the truth. Everything was working for him. But he drew his conclusion based on sight, not faith. Not based on the promise that God had given at Bethel. He, he drew his conclusion based, based on what he could see and what he felt. The reality was everything was working for him. Everything was coming together. God in his providence was working all things together for good 
for Jacob and his descendants. R.C. Sproul says, that God is for us is the cardinal point of the doctrine of providence. This is the main point. God is not just in control, but he loves you and I. He is for us. And so it's crucial in the middle, remember that God is for us. We have to remember this. This is what we need to hang on to. We've been promised this. If you, if you, can, if you have decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe you're on the way to doing that, if you decide to follow him and you're, you're walking with him through life, he has promised to take everything that's going on and work it together for your good. And he does that. I've seen this over and over and over again. God has made it clear that he is for us. Look at Romans 8, 31 32, and then 37 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. No one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is God's heart. His heart is not to squash us. His heart is not to make us pay. His heart is to take the punishment himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be celebrating in the next couple of weeks. He took the punishment for our sin. Our role as people is to accept what he's done on our behalf and to turn around and from going our own way to go God's way, to live for him, to set our heart to live for him. When you do that, he's promised to work everything out for our good. God has already paid. It says in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, Christ, love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to know this truth. God is for us. In the middle, remember, God is for you. God is for us. All of us are guilty before God, and we have this tendency to cringe in fear that God is about to bring it on. He's about to drop the load on us, and we're going to pay. But he is not against us. He is for us. He's made that very clear. So in the middle, God wants us to respond in some specific ways. First of all, surrender to his will and purpose. In the middle, he wants you and I to surrender to his will and purpose. I, didn't, I wasn't able to tell you the whole story about Jacob and Joseph and the gang, but the end of the story is Joseph brings his family to the land of Goshen, and he takes care of them. Jacob lives to be an old man taken care of by his favorite son, Joseph, in the land of Goshen. But after his father dies, the brothers, rightly so, begin to get worried about how Joseph's going to act now. You know, dad's gone. Is he going to come get us? What's going to happen? He's got all the power. I don't know what, what is going to be. So they come to Joseph, and they're planning to work things out with him. And Joseph makes a statement in Genesis 50, verse 20. 
You intended to harm me. This is what he's saying to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If you've never read the story of Joseph, I'd I'd encourage you to read it because he, he is treated horribly, but every time he is, every time the circumstances are against him, he decides to walk by faith, to set his heart to do what he can do and to be faithful, and he keeps surrendering. Well, God's in control. I'm just going to do what I know to do, and I'm going to let him fulfill his purpose in me. He's a tremendous example of this. And every time he's challenged, he, he responds with integrity and faithfulness, and God comes through and fulfills his purpose in his life. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said that we should surrender to God's will and purpose as we pray. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I try to include that every time I pray. God, you are awesome, you are amazing, you are holy. You are worthy of all my worship, and I surrender this day to you. Would you use me for your purpose? I want the day to go the way I want it to go. But God, would you use me this day for you, for your purpose? So in the middle, God wants us to surrender. He also wants us to keep believing, to believe his promise for us. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Because what do we we keep we want to cringe because of what we've done. We keep wanting to pay. We're thinking God's going to make us pay, but he has not condemned us. He has loved us in Jesus Christ. In the middle we have to keep reminding ourselves that God is for us. Like Jacob, we may cringe because of our track record. Because we know we've failed God. We know we've let him down. Or we wonder if God is going to come through this time. We're in the middle. We're wondering, how is God going to come through? Is he going to provide? Maybe this time I'll get what I deserve and I won't experience his mercy. But God is for us. Don't live by sight. Live by faith. Trust him. I love this quote from Max Anders. It's from a book called 30 Days to Understanding the Christian Life. And he says, if you're not living in rebellion against God, then God is satisfied with you. Even or in spite of the weaknesses and the sins in your life. That's hard for us to believe. That's the truth. Because he has made a way for us to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And there are some ways that we can rebel and experience a, you know, puni- a discipline. It's not really punishment as much as discipline from God. Like a good father disciplines his kids. There are ways, but if you're not in outright rebellion to God, he is satisfied with you. You don't have to cringe in fear. You don't have to wallow in guilt. You don't have to pay for your sin. He's already paid. And then we can trust God's promise in Romans 8, 28, 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's, God's make, creating a family here. And he wants us all to look like Jesus Christ. He wants us, our character. He wants our character to be like Christ. And so when we draw the wrong conclusions, we tend to bail on God's way. And we, 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 we never see the final outcome because we've bailed. We never see that God could use this and make it good for us. We never experience him weaving our choices and the things that we are going through into his purpose for us because we bailed way back when. We, we decided, oh, God's against us. I'm going to have to cover for myself. And we, we miss out on what God's doing. In the middle, God wants us to keep believing and trusting in him, and he also wants him to let, us, let him work in us. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, but work it out. You have it. Now let it work its way into your life. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. God is involved in your life, in your, in, in your insights. And we need to trust him to work in us. When we're in the middle, God can grow our faith and shape our character like no other time. This, this is when God's at work. If we remember his promise, then he can shape us in these times like no other. If, if we get squirrely and try to handle it our own way, then it's a wasted experience. It's a wasted circumstance. But in the middle, remember God is for you. If, if we can do that, if we remember that God is for us, then we can set the example for our friends and family. Rather than just falling apart and becoming a blob on the floor, we can actually set the example. We can encourage. In the middle, we can pray. If, if you think God's against you, are you going to pray to him? Are you going to ask him for help? No. You're going to think, well, he's, oh, this is it. I've got to figure out how to cover myself here. No. We can pray. We, we can actually contribute to uh, the situation that we're in and be a blessing to those around us as we remember that God is for us. Uh, we're going to be receiving our offering in a few minutes. And um, before we do that, I'd like you to consider some next steps that I've suggested here. There may be some others that God's laid on your heart. But as we've talked about being in the middle and God's work in the middle, there may be some ways to respond that God's laid on your heart, but here's some suggestions. First one, memorize Romans 8, 31 and 32. Remember that God, God is for us. Secondly, read Genesis 37 through 50 and just write down lessons. It's an amazing story, and there are tremendous lessons for us in that whole uh, section of Scripture just to learn and, and to remember. And then maybe some, something you want to do is in response is, uh, pray Matthew 6, 9, and 10 every day this week. God, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just surrender yourself to be used for his purpose. Quit fighting against. Quit cringing in fear. And just say, God, I know you're at work. I know you love me. I know you're for me. And I want you to use me today for your purpose. And then I left one blank for you, just whatever it is. There may be some steps that you want to take that God's brought to mind on your own. As the band comes up, would you pray with me?
Father, I thank you for the truth that we find in your word. And thank you, God, that you, you never give up on us. You love us. You're, you're coming after us to show yourself to us. And help us, God, not to cringe in fear, but to hold on to the truth that you are on our side. And you want to weave everything in our lives for the good of us, for our good, for the good of um, your, your kingdom. And, and so, Father, help us learn to cooperate more and more with you rather than fight against you, cooperate with you, and trust you to work in our lives, Lord. We, we give this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask you for the power to take the steps you've laid on our heart uh, and to do the things that you want us to do in response to your truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.